Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Lyons. On this episode, my guest is going to be Matt Challoner. As always, you can follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Enterprise Hardcore Podcast, on Twitter at Podcast Hardcore. Uh, thanks to everybody who's been contributing monthly to the Patreon. Um, like I've been teasing for a while, we'll have some uh, podcast exclusives for that real soon. And I'm also honestly toying with the idea of making this more of like a subscription-based uh, podcast uh, later in the year. And also thanks to anybody who's donating to the GoFundMe. Uh, we're trying to get some video equipment to start uh, recording a lot of these interviews live and in person and also bring you some live podcasts. So thanks again to the contributors there. Uh, the link's in the bio and all the info is on the uh, GoFundMe. Uh, we got a ton of good shows coming up in Rochester, but um, I'm just going to mention for now that uh, Who Decides and Leaking Head are playing at the Bug Jar on Saturday with a couple other good bands, uh, Face First, and I, I can't remember what the other band's called. Uh, but anyways, I'll have Ben from Who Decides on the podcast on Friday to talk more about that. And there's a bunch of other good shows coming up that we'll get to with each episode. Uh, but yeah, this is episode 86. Um, this is my first time ever having a guest from Australia. I guess God bless modern technology, because I don't know how we would have done this kind of shit like 10, 15 years ago. Um, but yeah, even though he's calling in from Australia, you're going to learn real quick, obviously, that he's deeply rooted in Rochester. So yeah, like I said in the beginning, we're talking to Matt Challoner tonight. So how's everything going for you tonight, man? It's great, man. Loving it. Although it's morning here, 9.30 in the morning. <laughs> you know, I always say, how's everything going for you tonight? And I think I've mentioned this before in previous episodes. It kind of gives away that I record most of these at night, obviously. You and I were talking about uh, little ones before uh, we officially hit record or whatever. So um, I appreciate you doing this during the day with that in mind, because, you know, there's a, there's a considerable time difference, as you and I were talking about before that we all recorded. It's my pleasure, man. It's um, you can't get more opposite, right? It's the complete opposite side of the world. You, I just think day is night. It's like 14 hours or something stupid. So, yeah, but here I am and stoked to be here. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen that Simpsons episode back in the day where with the Bart with the flushing of the toilet and they end up going around around the world to see that or whatever. <laughs> well, I can start you off early with an Australian fact. Our toilet water doesn't spin. It just like loops back in on itself and it's almost impossible to clog an Australian toilet. So the Simpsons episode wasn't in my notes, but you were from Australia previously to Rochester, right? Like you live. Yeah, there. correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was born um, in Sydney um, in 1986. And the only reason I'm saying that because you just said episode 86. So there you go. Uh, yeah, I was born in Western Sydney, um, which is sort of, I guess, the more working class part of, of Sydney. Um, so yeah, I was born there. Uh, we I lived there until 1992. And my dad, uh, he was working as a, he worked for this company, Oracle, massive software company. So he got a job in San Francisco. So when I was six, we moved there. And I think we were there for like almost a year or something, not that long. We came back briefly to Australia and then um, he got offered a job in London or Reading, sort of near London. So I went, we went there for two years when I was eight and nine. Um, and then in 94, five, we moved to Rochester. And then I was there until 04. Now, a lot of that you were pretty young, but like I, now that I have kids, like I think about that kind of stuff sometimes, like because I'm sure you've probably seen and heard Rochester isn't the uh, safest place in recent years. There's been a lot of shootings mm -hmm. here and whatnot, which I guess is common in the U.S. a lot more, but it seems like more heavily in Rochester. But regardless, the whole relocation thing comes to mind sometimes. And I think like 
that would be tough on on my kid because he's already four so like was it was it rough for you at all moving around like that so much when you were young or was it more kind of like fun yeah look i think i was lucky in that the the ages i was when i moved like when i moved to to rochester i was in what fourth fifth grade so like i was a pretty happy you know pretty carefree kid so i was like hey man you want to be friends i'll be friends with you here we go i mean i think you know, like my brother he's four years older than me so he moved and it was like sort of eighth ninth grade which i imagine would have maybe been a little bit trickier but um yeah look for me it was fine um and just so lucky like how many people get to do that before they're you know 12 11 12 so yeah got to see a lot of the world when we lived in england my parents were dragging us to every fucking castle you could find because obviously they're both from sort of country australia not country but sort of so um yeah look super lucky L loved it looking back um yeah the real one which i'm sure we'll get into later was when we i left rochester to come back to australia that was the killer but um yeah i'm sure we'll talk about that later <laughs> so i guess as a youth like having moved around to a lot of places in like mostly australia but europe a little bit too and then even the west coast like what kind of music were you were you like getting into Oh man, <laughs> when I was young, um, it was at the mercy of my parents, I guess. Um, uh, we're not a musical family. Um, nobody played instruments while I was little. Um, it was not something that, you know, like we, my parents liked music, but it wasn't like a big part of our lives at all. Um, and so, look, I can remember being in the back of a car in somewhere and listening to like Celine Dion and shit. And it's like, there's just whatever mom's got on. And me and my brother rolling our eyes in the back seat as if we know anything cooler, you know. Um, I think I probably understood music or became aware of like cool music, I guess. Shortly after I, we moved to Rochester, so I guess my brother was in, I think, eighth grade. And they matched him in Fairport whatever the middle school was, they matched him up with the only other Australian kid that was there. And this dude happened to like metal. So he, this dude loved Metallica. And as, by extension, my brother began to like that sort of music. Um, and then, I don't know if you have siblings, but when you're that age, you're an older brother who's four years older, you just want to be like him, right? So um, I was just stoked that there was music that was angry and fast and had what I felt like was actual emotion. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the first time I kind of clocked that, hey, music is is cool. Um, aside from singing a fucking Titanic song or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, the, I have this, this similar thing there because my sister, she's like 10 years older than me, but she took me to like my first rap concert she took me to see Bush and like a bunch of other shit, but she also had like, like my girlfriend does and me to a much lesser extent, she had a pretty vast uh, record collection. So she definitely hipped me to a lot of punk stuff. Like she wasn't as into it, but like she had like a Ramones record. And I think she even had a black flag record if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, but um, so yeah, I definitely have that relation, but I guess you're talking like 94, 95, but like when, at what point I guess, did you kind of start to realize more about like punk and even like hardcore and maybe even like a local scene, I guess. Yeah, so that was, um, so I kind of had a, my, so my brother played guitar and like I said before, you know, you want to be like your brother. So I was like, oh, I want to play drums. And my dad was like, 
I'm not having you start with drums because it will just destroy our house. Like it's, you can't practice drums quietly. You know, you can't put fucking headphones into your amp or whatever. So um, I wasn't allowed to get drums. And then my dad said, prove to me that you can, you know, dedicate yourself and, and actually give it a try. And so I played bass terribly. Um, and I got lessons for like, I don't know, would have probably only been a few months, seemed like years back then. Um, and so I played that for a bit. And then my brother was in a band in Fairport called Ply. And I don't know how they were involved. I, they weren't really involved in our scene. Um, sort of a, like, I guess, the sort of new metal scene, maybe. Yeah. Um, and then later he was in Blind Identity, which were like, you know, that sort of uh, new metal-ish type band. Um, so, yeah, that kind of, I was seeing him play in bands, basically. And, you know, everybody was older and cool and like, you know, I just wanted to be like them. And then, so I sort of was, you know, wearing Limp Biscuit t-shirts to school and listening to Corn and thinking I'm fucking awesome. <laughs> uh, and then I got to seventh grade and I met uh, Tyler Smith and Billy Maholic. So Tyler and I were in a few bands together. Um, but Billy, now I've never met Kenton, I don't think, who was in Stanfast, but Billy's older sister, Les was friends with Kenton. So by extension, Bill and Ty, I think they knew Rory and sort of stand fast as a as a whole. Not friends with them, but you know, they they knew who they were. So as soon as I met them, they were like, Oh, you're listening to Limp Biscuit, man. Like, what about real punk? Like, not that bullshit. Like, what are you talking about? This is fucking cool, man. It's like, haven't you heard Fred Durst? Like, you can't can't beat it. <laughs> so yeah, the, those guys kind of opened my eyes to punk in general, which I guess was like to start with No Effects and Rancid and Pennywise and, you know, all of those bands. So when, yeah, so that was seventh grade and they um, they made me a mixtape, which I still have uh, in a box with some, it's called Punk Mix for Matt, imaginally titled. So I still got that. Um, and from there, I was like, mind blown again you know so at first i heard sort of new metal when i was younger and, and i guess i'd heard i listened to the offspring and that kind of thing and then yeah this came and i was like okay this just resonates with me and straight away so this would have been 2000 no no earlier earlier because yeah 99 i think and then from there i started kind of getting involved in what they were doing, which was going to shows aside from just teen center shows in Fairport. Yeah. Um, that's crazy that your brother has the, I, I obviously never saw those bands ply or blind identity, but having booked so many shows and been a part, I mean, obviously we knew who all the local bands were. It's not like a huge city. I never knew you had the relation or whatever. So that's crazy that, you know, yeah, it was, um, it's funny because, like I was saying, when I was younger, it was like, oh, it's so cool to be in a band. And then when I was a bit older, oh, I say older, I was still fucking 16. Um, <laughs> I remember they practiced at my, our house for like a, probably a week stretch, not long. Um, I remember hearing, I remember my dad being like, this is a real band. 
like he didn't say it but he was insinuating like not like the shit you play you know you just fucking get down there smashing the drums this is a real band i'm like yeah well and the thing that i always remember is they never fucking played any shows like if they play so rarely and i don't know if that was that scene or whatever but like i remember being like dude let's just i'll just play basements or garages or and i don't give a shit about I ha always hated practice, always blech, about recording. Like, I just want to play and play shows and act like an idiot and fling my dirty hair around. Um, so, yeah, that was always a thing. I'm like, I don't know if it was that scene or like we play Water Street or we play nothing. It was always very strange to me. But, yeah, it was he was in Blind Identity. <laughs> Well, I guess when you started like discovering more of the local scene, are there any like early shows that like stand out in your memory from like seeing local or national bands for the first time? Yeah. So, um, like I said, I went to a lot of, uh, teen center shows in Fairport and, um, a lot of those were, um, Jimmy's bands, um, Fetty and Chris Brown's early band, um, new rule was a pop punk band back in the day. Um, so sort of the, and there was another Fairport band called the imposters, a ska band. Um, so that that kind of stuff and um, Bill, as I was saying Bill and Ty were like oh, we have to go to like a real shop like a hardcore shop and I was like fuck yeah sign me up I love it um, having absolutely no idea what that meant so I actually found the show on uh, Greg Benoit's Instagram page so it was October 23rd 1999 so Stanfast Movie Life Majority Rule at St. Joe's that was the first hardcore show I went to um I was 13 and I can remember I was like I'm gonna get fucking killed here I was so scared um it was like nothing I'd ever seen um and people start marching and you know getting into it and I'm like I'm gonna get absolutely fucking squished <laughs> so I'm trying to stand back and I'm looking at Ty who like by no means is a tough dude but he's at least six foot six I'm looking at him like, I'm just going to stand next to you. Okay. <laughs> so, but I, I can still remember clearly being there. And like I say, I'm not going to lie that I would, I, I in, like had fun the whole time or it, but it blew my mind that this was a thing that was happening and that it was people from all over that would come together for this band that like, for all intents and purposes, nobody fucking knew. I'm like, how can you have this awesome show that like, and I've never heard of you. Like, isn't this type of thing when you have a crowd that's for like bands on the radio? Like I was just so far removed from understanding how it worked that, um, yeah, I guess that was a very formative. But then the other one that I can really remember clearly, which was obviously later, um, which every single person on this podcast has mentioned is that um, Hope Conspiracy Thursday show. I have super vivid memories of being there. And um, I think I remember thinking, there's a fucking lot of people here. <laughs> like, we're in a lodge. And like, I don't know if this is cool, but it's got nothing to do with me. I'm here. But I've, I think I've heard you say on the podcast before, it's like, you know, you're, you know, if any, if you see any cops, let me know. Like, and that was complete. I'm not even thinking about that. It's like, so yeah, I mean, you're putting those shows on for us. So that was fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, there was definitely like, you know, I, I, I mean, I, it's not like I grew up in the hood, but I grew up like downtown and I had, like, I guess I would call it like more of a street sensibility. So I always kind of was thinking about shit like that. And I've mentioned on here several times, though, 
like now that I'm 41 and I have kids and like I've seen like before all that Travis Scott shit even happened last year, like things happened when I was booking shows like where the places were overcapacitated and people got hurt. And I'm like, I would never like I don't, I, I'm not trying to sound like a downer, but I'm not as into lodge shows now as I was back then anyways, because like there's more work involved with it than I'd like to do at this age of my life. But of course, you know, I know a lot of people appreciate them and I like going to lodge shows. I just don't really want to book them. But like the idea of having 300 people in a place that's supposed to hold like 60 or 70 legally is not mm. probably uh, something I would do again at this stage of my life, but it is. But it it's funny you said, you know, like 20 years later and now as uh, grownups, I can actually comprehend like the fucking risk involved in doing that sort of thing. I can remember playing that Lyle Lab thing and then being like, oh, we're not really supposed to be here because there's no exit signs and there's no, and I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Who gives a shit? Like, we're just going to play music and everybody's cool, man. But yeah, no, like you say, grown up with kids, I'm like, I don't want my son in a place with no exit signs. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah, I guess that was a benefit for sort of my parents being like, look, I trust you. Yeah. I've met your friends. They're good. They're good kids. So like, off you go. And like, I definitely took advantage. <laughs> That's one thing I heard a lot back then and now that a lot of people like, for some reason their parents trusted us like we weren't old you know what i mean but we were like i guess i i wasn't personally but i know a lot of us were straight edge back then too so they probably you know mm. knew a lot about that and i'm gonna get pat stefano on here eventually and he talks about like when i was in the paper eventually like he even showed that to his mom for like gratification or whatever you want to call it to be like this is a safe place and like look read this article type thing or whatever you know what i mean like and i yeah I, for sure and i think it i mean i always felt safe even when I probably took so much shit, someone was going to fucking kick my ass, deservedly so, you know? But I never felt like this is a place that if I, you know, say the wrong thing or dance wrong or fucking bump into the wrong person, I'm just going to get my ass kicked. That was never a thought. I mean, obviously, I, as we've said, I was young and um, brash and all of that shit. So, but yeah, I always felt safe. And that was something that I never... Um, yeah, like I, said, I never considered that you could have a hardcore scene or a punk scene and like dudes want to fight. It was not in my head at all. It was like everybody here gives a shit about music and wants to not be at their house and wants to be somewhere where we can collectively, you know, enjoy this. There was a few years like right after you moved back there uh, where it got pretty violent over here. Uh, it's definitely calmed down a lot like long you know, it was only for a few years, but it, it definitely, yeah. that was part of the reason why, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into this at least slightly later, but that's part of the reason why I stopped booking shows was I was like, I don't want to have somebody getting their head caved in on my, on my hands or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, I mean, there's just never any reason for yeah. that. You know, I want to also uh, give a shout out to my dog, Alfie. I'm sure people are going to hear the squeaking in the background a little bit on this episode. Uh, nowhere else. Is his really name cool. Alfie? Alfie. Yeah, yeah, that's my son. That's my son's name. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, one of them. <laughs> talking about her. Yeah. Well, she, you guys are going to hear a squeaking or toy on this a little bit. So shout out to that's Alfie. That's cool. We uh, love dogs. Now, so as we get into the bands, mm -hmm. I know I sent them to you in like a list or whatever, but I don't really, I don't know if they're in like a, like a, a chronological order or whatever. So I don't know if you want to just kind of jump into the bands or. Yeah, sure. Break them in the way I had them listed or. Yeah. So I guess. Um... I so we we sort of I mentioned this quickly and I think Jimmy's episode talked about it a lot obviously but Jimmy Stat was in a band called Fetty 
um, so in Fairport, you know, Stenfast are up here, you know, they're like a legit band. And it, but in Fairport at the teen center, Fetty rules the fucking roost. Like kids go off, me included. And then like, I knew that I was friends with them. So like in my head, I'm like, I'm fucking in, you know, it was, it was a, a bit clicky, I guess, looking back at it. Um, and so that would always go off. And then um, Bill and Ty had another band with one of our friends, Evan, played drums um, called Eye to Eye, Insult to Injury. So this is, um, yeah, one of those. I was not in this band, just in case anybody tracks down some recordings. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's something, all right. So I used to hang out at that practice every day. Every day they'd practice, I'd be in there. Um, and I wanted to be in a band. So around this time, I got drums. Um, I convinced my dad I could play drums. And I just practiced my face off. So I never had any lessons. I just um, headphones on, you know, no effects, save the day. Okay, anything, anything that I thought I could play, I'll just play until my mom would come downstairs and go, no more. Like, you're killing me here. Um, so that's kind of how I got into drums. And then I actually forgot all about this band, but I listened to the year episode with Adam Vernick and he remembers the band that I was in. So we said, that's fucking weird. I think it's called Forthcoming, right? So this is a band of other Fairport kids who were playing, you know, saves the day covers and get up kids and that kind of shit. And I just wanted to be in a band. I was like, I'll play drums. Fuck yeah. So I think we played one, maybe two shit teen center shows. And then um, Adam asked me to be into Festa Within. So that was um, awesome because this is a real band and like they wrote real songs. And like, I have no songwriting ability whatsoever. Like I can sort of play guitar chords now, 20 years later, but I can't, can't write songs, can't write lyrics, no chance. So I, I, what I can do is hit the drums really fucking hard and really fast. That's what I can do. That was my whole philosophy. So I could do that in Festa Within. And I was playing double kick drum and think it was, I was stoked on it. And then the more I played, the more I kind of, I don't know, I wasn't as into it. And um, I wasn't, we weren't all like great friends. You know, we, I don't think we hated each other or anything, but we didn't really click, I guess. Um, and then around that time, I think I was at Ricky's Diner in Fairport with Jimmy Stat and Tyler Smith. And Jimmy was like, I want to do a three-piece because there's no three-piece punk or hardcore bands in Rochester. And me, uh, me and Ty looked at each other and we're like, I mean obviously yes <laughs> so because like i said jimmy was this dude who like when i met him ruled the fucking roost and like wasn't until after you know probably a year or so later i actually sort of viewed him this sounds weird but i sort of viewed him as my peer and not like some dude who is <laughs> the equivalent of a fairport rock star i guess he's the first dude i'd ever met who like wrote music played music didn't give a fuck like both at school at this in this like always willing to put himself out there and that for me was like inspiring I guess so we started the Avram and I think I think I was into Festa Within and the Avram for a short time at the same time I think 
And then I left to Festa Within. And then it was at Dustin joined. And then we did a split. So that was really weird for me. <laughs> it was like a split with my old band and my new band. And my old, but my old band is the new drummer. But anyway, it, we made it work. That must have been Adam, Adam Vernick's idea. I, I would think so. Um, so I was in the Avram and then I got wind that the Breaking Project were maybe looking for a new drummer. So um, these guys were Penfield kids so that we didn't go to school together. Everyone else I'd played music with was from Fairport High. So we sort of knew them through the teen center you know, scene, um, Penfield kids. And like I said, Chris was in um, New Rule and I don't even know who else was in that. Um, and then I think, so they had this guy, Dan playing drums and Dan was a fucking dude, but not really a hardcore dude. Like not really a punk dude. He just sort of, he was a school friend and he played drums and he didn't, I think he might've been a year older than them and he was going to college or something like that. But I talk to I want I think it was Chris and he's like oh you know we're, we're we're having auditions or tryouts or some bullshit um you know we're not sure who we want but it would be cool to come down and play or I think we played a I think I played a basement show at Mikey's house so Mike was guitarist in Breaking Project and then How We Are and Avram and other stuff later so he we played at his house and I can remember, I don't remember which band it was, maybe Avram. And I can remember playing and seeing Chris Brown air drumming. And I was like, well, this dude, I mean, he must like it, I guess. <laughs> so I, we then went to, um, they, they called me up. Can we, you know, have practice? So my, you know, I put my drums in the, my dad's car and he drives me over to the house in Penfield. We lump in. And what I didn't tell them is that I was so stoked to be in this band that, I got all their recordings. And like I was saying before, I just play until I was told I had to stop. I played all their songs and learned their songs because um, I was like, I want to be in it. So I turned up and they're like, oh, have you, maybe we could jam this one. I don't know if you've heard. It. I'm like, yeah, whichever. And I'm like, what do you, I'm like, I know them all. So let's go. So we played, um, I remember this, there was a song called Dress Code and we played that. And I put a few little extra bits in there or whatever. And um, it, we just clicked and we were, we became really close friends as well. Um, and it was all of a sudden I had these two bands where I was like, basically all my best friends minus a couple were in these bands. So it was just always natural, you know, like we were hanging out anyway. So why don't we just play? So I actually played a first show with Proj I, I, it was that day because some dude at like the Penfield whatever center, like, oh, we're putting on some battle of the bands. And like, you guys want to come and play? And they're, they're like, oh, we don't have a drummer. I'm like, fuck, I'm sitting right here. Let's do it. So I kind of pushed myself into the band, I guess. And um, yeah, from there, we just fucking blast. We did as much as we could. Jumping back to the the Evram formation, like with you kind of being like, I guess that was like the first stuff, like band you really started with, where you're like writing music, right? Um, like, was it yeah? Was it hard for you to like come up with like like parts for everything, or like did they help you along with that, or was it all all you pretty much? Oh uh, well, look, definitely not me. <laughs> 
particularly in the A-frame, um, Jimmy would come to practice and Jimmy had the song. Like this song was written and we never heard his vocals, um, but we obviously he would play guitar and he'd show tight and like he would give us, a, um, he would record onto a cassette how, I don't know, fucking Home Alone style talk boy or some shit. And it would just be shitty guitar parts from a practice amp. And that's the first time we'd hear it. And then we'd go into practice and be like, okay, so this bit, I want this beat. And so to a large extent, I just play it. And then like, you know, there's time, you know, when you play drums, not that it's been recently for me, but you know, you, you keep your beat and then every so often you can put your little fill in. So that's where you can kind of, you know, put your little cherry on top of the cake and the better drummer you are, the better you can make it, right? I, I think it, when the Avram first formed and we recorded our demo, actually listened to it a few days ago, I have one fill. It's like like every fucking fill. Anytime there's a spot for a fill, it's the same one because that's all I have. <laughs> so, and I was always terrified when I first started recording of, you know, losing time or whatever. So I always try to keep everything really simple. But yeah, we never, in the in Proj, it was more collaborative and less sort of we didn't want to do like song structure like we didn't want a chorus and a verse so we would have parts you know and like maybe a little breakdown and then like one part might be a chris one and one part might be a mikey one and then we'd sort of jo join them together and looking back it's just not how you should really be writing a song in my opinion <laughs> um, that was kind of how we did it then um, but yeah avram very jimmy driven very jimmy driven now thankfully you had said before with ply and blind identity that your dad had been like these are real bands like did you like ever kind of come <laughs> to him for like validation at this point and be like are these real bands or like did he say anything at that point like uh no look <laughs> that sounds real bad um i'm making it sound like my dad was shitting on everything i wanted to do it was not that way um i think he's just naturally sort of sarcastic guy like i am um or i'm like him i guess but yeah, look, towards the end, because I I didn't even have a lot, I would, couldn't even get my driver's license until right before I moved away. So I was always, my dad or mom was driving me wherever. Um, and so I think it might have been a bug jar show later, later on, probably like 2003 something, that he dropped me off. And I was like, dude, just stay and watch. And then after he was like, okay, I get it. Like, kids were stage diving and shit, you know? So it was fucking cool show. Um, but yeah, cause he would, he would be dropping me off at Java's and like, we're down in that dirty basement or like, I remember some Tuesday night, he dropped me off at a place. I still got the mud on my drum kit from that basement show, you know? So I think that's kind of more where he was getting that from. I have to, I highly doubt my dad or you know, my parents were listening to Blind Identity or the Avram in their spare time. I doubt it. Obviously, you know, last shows and stuff, but like, what are some of the more memorable shows that stand out for you with, with uh, especially like Breaking Project and Avram? I'm sure there's a bunch. Oh man, it's like, obviously the last ones, they're like etched into my brain, but um, I'm going to probably get into this a bit later, I guess, but um. In terms of shows we played for the Avram, um, the, we played at Jarvis in the basement. And I think we played, I can't remember who we played, but I remember 
I specifically remember motion Jeff there and him being like stoked on our band. And, and I remember we, Jimmy had this old white van with wood paneling on the side, what we would shove everything into. Um, and I remember driving home from there and like ties up the back, like covered in amps. Incidentally, they got in a car accident and he got fucked up doing that. So sit in the chair and wear your fucking seatbelt, everyone. Um, but yeah, we, so we were driving home and I remember being like, dude, fucking guy from disaster likes us. Like the disaster likes our band. Like how fucking awesome. And then I think not long after Jimmy was asked to join them. And so it kind of bit of coattails riding in, I guess, um, you know, Jimmy wrote the music for us. <laughs> People like that. So he, he was, um, I, I guess, our sort of ringleader in that kind of crew. But um, yeah, I can remember playing that one. Um, that last one was incredible show, like nothing I'll ever experience again. Um, but then for um, for Praj, we, we toured. So Abraham, I think we played out of Rochester once. And I was talking to the to the the dudes the, two days ago, and we want to say Med, Medina, Med, Medina. Uh, but yeah. but then I was thinking the maybe it's yeah maybe or maybe it was Bath or Oswego. Anyway, it's, we yeah. played out of town I think once, but Proj we fucking toured. I mean they weren't good to us, but we toured. So we did a few weekends. I remember we played in DC in this like church basement. With Trial by Fire, I think. Wilson, the Wilson Center in D.C.? Y yeah, maybe. I can't remember the name. I can remember what it looked like in there. Um, and that show was fucking awesome. Um, I remember the first weekend we played with Praj, we drove down with a, in Chris Brown's Jeep with everything in a U-Haul. And um, this dude, Mitch Knoll, who went to RIT, he was sitting in the back of the Jeep. He was our roadie. And like... I'm 16 and this is like in college. <laughs> and so we, we went to Doylestown, Pennsylvania, which was, and we played a teen center there and we basically like sold out our merch because like, it was just basically Fairport, but in Pennsylvania and like that w people liked us in, in the Fairport teen center. So I guess it made sense that they liked us here. Um, I remember that show very, very clearly. Um, and then we did, so we did, yeah, a couple of weekends and then Praj went out. We did three weeks in the summer of 2003. And we went uh, all the way down to Florida as far west as St. Louis. And then we came back. I think we, we were gone for probably, what, 20 days or something. And I reckon we played 10, 12 shows, maybe. I'm trying to piece it together, but it's very... Um, very vague <laughs> but yeah i remember we played there we played in burlington vermont and i, I never really remember the shows but i remember <laughs> there was this woman who was obviously drunk um and she could pop her eyes out i'm doing this on the video but like i don't know if you've ever seen people do that like you kind of like pop their eyeballs further out than their eyelids it's fucking freaky so this chick is doing this to us and she's asking us for fire water you kids give me some fire water and i can still remember this 20 years so this is the first night of tour and we're like what the fuck have we signed up for um but yeah i think um yeah sorry i'm rambling here just don't butt in anytime um i think let me i'm actually gonna look at it because i i'll never remember everything 
we played uh, there was a prod show i think we played um where we played in fulton a lot i remember that i don't know where that place is um right outside of syracuse uh yeah there I know you some go. Of my buddies from saving throw did a bunch of stuff there too so it might have been some stuff with them even too yeah probably so this uh, yeah so Praj, i think we played a show was that band called taken yeah from california yeah so i think we played at the bug jar with them and that was the first time people sort of out well so we as we perceive the first time we saw people, um, I guess, into it that weren't our like peers at the teen center. You know what I mean? Like older kids who are relatively speaking older. Um, and we're like, oh, we've only got, you know, five, six, seven shows left or whatever. And it was almost like, fuck, I wish people were into our band as much in the previous year we were doing this. Wait, but- wait, hold on. So back it up a second. So you did the tour in 2003 and then we're talking, I want to say I probably booked that show. I don't remember booking taken, but it definitely sounds like a show I would have booked. Cause I can imagine. Well, yeah. anyways, when did you guys realize the band was going to break up though? Like, I know we're going to get to you moving away, uh, which yeah, wise, that's like five months after this, right. Or like after the tour. Right? Yeah. So what, what, I guess what happened with me, um, I, so as we've established, I'm not, American. Um, I've never had an American passport or citizenship. I was only ever there um, on my dad's visa, basically. So it was like, rewind a bit, it's late 90s, dot com boom. So my dad's kind of jumping between startup companies and doing, you know, that sort of thing. And then for a long stretch, he worked in San Francisco. So he would go on Monday and come back on Friday. And that was because he didn't want to move us again. You guys were, so you guys were in Rochester then? Still in Rochester, yeah. And he was commuting. So his commute is across the country and back, which is pretty fucking mental thinking about it. One thing, as, one thing I wanted to ask you, I guess, before we got to this part was like, was there like, so you say you never like were like official, like a permanent citizen here, a resident or whatever. Was there ever like, did it come across your mind at any point? Like I might not stay here forever. I might have to go back to Australia. I might have to go somewhere else. You know what I mean? Look, it sh- it should have, it should have crossed my mind, but it didn't. Basically, from the time I started to be in bands, um, to the time I left was like, uh, it's a blur, and in the, in the best way. And I never considered that I would have to leave my life behind again, but obviously I did. So yeah, he um, he, uh, what I didn't realize at the time is that obviously it's quite a volatile world to be working in back then um working between this company and that company and you got you know venture capitalists who only care about money and all that corporate shit um so he actually they closed down the company he worked with i think and under that i think he had like 90 days or something to find a job but the kicker is like we like my mom can't work only he can work you know, so we can't like pool resources here. So he has to get a job that kind of, you know, pays a certain amount to keep paying for our house and all that shit. So he kind of struggled to find something that would do that. And then obviously you got a time limit on it. So he's juggling all sorts of shit. And then out of, I think just out of interest or you know, desperation, I guess, I don't know. He called his old boss in Sydney 
for Oracle and was like, you know, uh, this is what's happened. And the dude was like, come work with, I'll pay right now. Start right now, no problem. So it was kind of like, well, do I scrap and scrape here or do I actually, do we go home when, and you know, I can provide for everyone. So it was, it's kind of a no brainer, but you don't understand that, you know, when you're 15 or 16. So they told my brother and I, parents told my brother and I, it would have been around March, April, 2003, I want to say that, you know, this is what's happening and there's not really any way out of it. And I was like, okay, cool joke guys. No problem. Um, like I'm going to do my college applications now. And they're like, nah, it's like, we're actually serious, man. So I grappled with that for a little bit. Obviously that's not fun. Um, so I think I was in, 11th grade halfway through 11th grade or so maybe even a bit earlier and then after keeping it to myself for a while I was like no I obviously got to tell everyone I can remember we're in Chris Brown's basement and it was I think it was all of Praj all of Avram a bunch of our friends uh, you know in the circle and I told everyone you know like this is what's happening and basically the timeline was right before tour you know, three, so it would have been June or three, my dad came back and he started working in Australia. And then in October of 03, my brother came back and then my mom and I finished packing up our house. And then in November, she came back. So from November 03 to February of four, I lived with Tyler Smith. That probably was, as an illegal alien. <laughs> that was something I was going to ask you about too, though. And I guess you know, residency issues would have been a thing too. You never considered trying to stay here. Like you wouldn't have been able to do that or whatever to, to finish the school year or whatever. Oh, uh, look, I did stay to finish the school year, but we didn't do it in an official capacity. So I finished, I actually finished the school year in January, uh, Okay. But, but still graduated. I had enough credits or whatever the fuck you need. So I, I did that and I finished early. But what happened to me is basically I found out I was moving. Um, I didn't have a choice. Um, I felt like my bands were just, you know, people liked them and were you know, success, you know, from that as much as I could understand it back then. Um, and so I just all of a sudden was like, I'm not, you know, and, and sounds a bit cliche, I guess, because everybody, you know, most kids in Fairport are moving somewhere at the end of senior year right like a lot of kids are going to even if they go to college in rochester they're still moving into a dorm you know and like so it's not unique that at the end of high school you're moving away from what you know but i guess this for me this is the next level you know like i'm going to the other side of the fucking world none of my friends are coming with me you know i don't really get along with my brother at this point you know we're fine but it's not like we're friends um so yeah, I just had less than zero fucks to give, if I'm being completely honest, for that last six months. And particularly at school, it's not like I didn't try, but like I was a dick to anyone who you know, I thought, yeah, fucking poser or whatever. And I was a dick to all kinds of people, yourself included, I'm sure. So that was kind of, looking back now, 20 years later, it makes me cringe some of the stuff I said and did. Um, if I can even remember it, to be honest with you. Um, but it was, yeah, it was 
something that has taken me a very long time to get over. The fact that I felt like I belonged for the first time in my life. And I felt like people gave a shit about what I thought and what I did. And I never felt that way before. I'd always been the Australian kid who's like putting on an American accent. So nobody knows I'm Australian, you know, and kind of trying to fit in, I guess, and still sort of trying to be myself. And then I finally felt like I'm, this is who I am. And then it's like, oh, guess what? We're going back to Australia. Like, get the fuck out of here. And so I was, I was an angry kid in that time. So yeah, that was, um, that was kind of how it played out. Yeah. One thing I want to say though, is you probably didn't realize it when you were a kid that I, I'm, I'm guessing I'm like most Americans. We think Australian accents are cool. You know what I mean? Like I, I hear that shit. I'm like, oh, <laughs> when I worked at, I don't know if you remember Brugger's bagels. Um, I worked at the oh, one yeah. in uh, Pittsburgh Plaza, uh, mm-hmm. for a couple of years. And there was like a, like a, a spa salon type place, sheer ego. And there was a couple Australian dudes that worked in there and they would come in and I would, every time they'd leave, one of the things he would say, I don't, I, we're not going to get into all this type of shit, but you guys, like a lot of things are said differently there. You've snuck a couple things in the conversation so far, but he, instead of asking me to cut the sandwich in half, he'd ask me to hack it in half. Is that, is that Australian? <laughs> I can't say I've said never that. Heard no. said, have you ever heard me say that before? No, but I mean, Australia does have, you know, not to the same extent, but like we have sayings that are local, right? So like I'm in Sydney, but Melbourne, which is, uh, an hour flight south about what 600 miles or something that they have different sayings and then there's brisbane in queensland which is north of sydney um and they're same thing so uh yeah i, I look if if i heard someone say hack it in half i think i i, I wouldn't it wouldn't seem crazy to me because people say some weird shit down here yeah. <laughs> i guess another thing while we're talking about it did you had you kept in touch with anybody from your youth in australia like when you were here at all no not not really um i guess i had friends but i was young you know it was like by the time i got to to rochester i I think i was in fourth fifth grade so it it wasn't like and like look maybe if we had the internet properly back then maybe i would have like now how insane like fucking i was i'm sitting on my couch in sydney and it's midnight and I know we're going to do this. I'm like, oh, what was that show that we played in this fucking town? And I asked Chris Brown and dude answers me straight away. It's just fucking awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, and like you said at the start of this, here we are talking. It's your nighttime, my morning, but let's make it work. Yeah, you're the second uh, international guest I've had on here. One of the guys from Miles Between Us when I did their like reunion type interview or whatever, he was in Germany. And both times I was like, man, I hope the connection's going to be all right. You know what I mean? Like, it just seems so weird to... But, you know, it's the technology or whatever. Um, and then, oh, another thing I, I had in my notes that I didn't tell you about, because I don't know if you're familiar with this dude, but on the head-on 7-inch, there was a dude who was here for, like, a couple weeks in January of 2001, I want to say. We all called him Mark the Aussie Kid. Did anybody ever tell you about him, or did you ever end up, like... Nah, because I, I remember all the dudes in Ply and Blind Identity, they'd call my brother that Aussie uh-huh. which over here we say Aussie like Aussie. O O-Z-Z-I-E not Aussie that's not you don't say that yet <laughs> so, no I never heard I never heard of him what did he do no I don't know if he's in any bands or anything but he was just he was here I think he went to the Syracuse nearest day show probably is probably how we all got to meet him 
maybe my timeline's messed up, but at some point they met him and he ended up like even being on the head on seven inch. Like he, he said, like, that's not posy, but it was like in his Australian accent. Oh, that rings a bell. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't yeah. know if anybody ever told you about him. I don't even know if he's from Sydney. I, I, I contacted him like in the MySpace days. Like we, we ended up like friending each oh, other. Yeah. That's the last time I've talked to him, but that's mm. that and the band speed and like some grindcore bands, are, like my only connection to Australia. Pretty Yeah. Much. Look, I don't, to be honest, after I moved back here, it was too painful for me to involve myself with music. Cause like I said before, I don't, I never really liked practice. Um, I found recording so fucking boring. Um, I just wanted to play shows and hang out with my friends. And so when I didn't have any of those people around me anymore, I quickly was like, I don't, I don't care, but I still can't. So I haven't played in a band since, since then, basically it's been years and fucking years. I still have my drum. I still got all of my drum set, all my sticks, everything in the garage. Can't bring myself to sell them or get rid of them in any way, but yeah, it's been a long time. I guess I, before I ask you a couple more Australia questions, I, I well, a couple of the bands you were in, I didn't realize you were in. Like I knew about uh, Avram and, and Proj, obviously, but to Fester Within, Adam kind of jogged my memory there. And then when you told me about No Sweat, I never even realized that. Wasn't that other kid, what was his name, Tommy? Wasn't he in that band too? Or, or were you always the drummer for No Sweat? Uh, I I don't think Tommy was in it, no. I'm thinking of How We Are. Yeah, yeah, he was in How We Are for sure. I guess I thought he was in both. Um, yeah, no sweat was a was a fucking weird time, man. Um, uh, I remember. So, like I said, I I've been told I'm moving. You know, like I got this like finite end date when I know, like, I'm not only so not only am I playing music and like, but I'm learning. You know, like, like I'm like this girl at school. You know, and like I got my fucking. AP humanities exam and like this kind of shit was part of my life right um I suppose we've all got that but I I remember so I started I started to get to know um John a bit more and he was like oh I know this dude Adam Rossiter who wants to be a singer in a band like do you want to do a band and at the time I was like fucking whatever sure I'll play music like remember we so we played a practice and so it was Eric, I can't remember his last name. Sorry, man. Um, Eric from Syracuse and Adam and John. And I remember Adam met me and he's like, you're going to play drums, huh? I'm like, yeah. It's like, can you play Green Day? And I was like, I, I guess. And he's like, okay, you'll be good enough then. <laughs> like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, and in my head, I'm like, don't you know I'm in bands, man? Like, get the fuck out of here. Uh, so we um yeah so we practiced i remember i i was like we should call this the no sweatro and we should say no shirt no shoes no sweat it's like that's probably the only writing i did of any of the bands i was in and we like played these bullshit songs for for what i think we practiced twice and then i got us in to record at hopewell with dave drago where we did the avram full length so i got him i got us in there and then yeah that band was just a blur i remember we played westcott and i think it was our first show and we start the bass intro and kids start moshing and we're like what the fuck like and for me i was like how do they know this and what i was oblivious to at the time was that that like syracuse scene right so there were kids there who are new eric and 
Adam and John, and I didn't know them. And so all of a sudden I found myself in this, what I considered a joke band and like was not something I thought about. And like, I've recorded those drum tracks in like an hour and a half. Like it's not hard. <laughs> it's just straight up douchebag punk really. And some of the lyrics looking back questionable. I wish I'd known, but Hey, I was young. Right. So that, that band. Yeah. I remember. And then I remember they tried to, um, I think Adam wanted to do a weekend. And at this point I've got like a month left until I move. And I actually, well, here's the truth. I know I actually lied to them. And I said, my parents won't let me do the weekend because they're not in the country, which was complete bullshit. I was like, I'm not spending this one of the last weekends I have with like, no offense, fucking no sweat in a van, fuck off. <laughs> so I think we played, what, Rochester and Syracuse a few times, and that was it. Man, for obvious reasons, I doubt that I saw you guys, and I'm not going to front. Like, I kind of associated Rossiter as being a kind of a douchebag for also obvious reasons, so I didn't really talk to him for a couple of years. And then randomly, this was like 2006, and I was getting ready to travel across country, like around the States and shit, you know? So I was just going out partying to a few bars and shit. And one night he just like taps me on the shoulder. He's like, hey. And I'm like, hey, like in my head, I'm like, I don't think we were really, really friends or whatever, you know. But then he just like starts buying me drinks and we start talking. And I realize like, you know, it's kind of things like you and I were talking about before. It's like I, I, I like I, I'm not going to get into the, the issue at hand, obviously. I don't really want to too much. But I mean, everybody who knows knows. So but I, 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 sh I wish I would have gotten to know certain people better. I just kind of associated people as being certain ways or things for certain reasons. You know what I mean? And when I, when I saw him out that night, I was like, yo, this mm. dude's just like a fucking regular character like me. You know what I mean? I should have fucking, I wish I would have ch chilled with him more when like before, you know, but you know, silly hardcore beefs. Right. Exactly. And I, yeah. And I think for me, it, when I was younger, I, I viewed everything very in absolutes. Yeah. I found like, sound like Star Wars here, but um, the Sith only see in absolutes. Right. Um, and it was either like, you're a fucking dude or fuck that guy. And I never want to have any, you know, he's a poser or what any other bullshit I'd fucking make up. And, and that, and that, look, that is no way to live. You know, that's one of those things I wish with a little bit of maturity, you can go back, mate, just take it down a notch because, you know, everybody is a human <laughs> and like, you think you got it bad, Matt, but you really don't. So yeah, that was, um, a lot of it's the punk rock and hardcore mentality, I think. I mean, lots change in this society now, obviously. A lot that was, like, people mm. tolerated back then, they probably wouldn't tolerate now. I mean, who knows? You know what I mean? But I think a lot mm. of things in this, like, cancel age or whatever, you know, I think certain things wouldn't fly as much as they did back then. But who knows, you know? Yeah, um, and, and look, like you say, I think you've said it before on here. It's like, we're talking about 2000. 2002 you know like it's, it was a different time yeah like we didn't have social media you know we had the internet but it was a bit rogue and cowboy and you could kind of do and say whatever you want i mean i suppose that still happens but yeah look it, it was uh it was exciting but um yeah i, I can't say i didn't uh I, I can't say i wouldn't take some things back because i certainly would <laughs> I have a digital, I have a digital camera from like, not even that long ago, like the late two thousands. And I, I always want to upload the thumb drive and look at the pictures, but then I'm like, part of me doesn't want to even think about those years. You know what I mean? Like, so I just, yeah, it's still sitting in a corner and I probably won't look at it anytime soon. 
Uh, yeah, I mean that's what's that's what's great about doing this, right? Because it's like we're just a lot of this stuff I don't even I didn't remember at all until it's like one person said and it just starts to snowball and you're like, oh yeah, we fucking did do this and we did do that. Um one thing I wanted to say I need to talk about is um we'll just go back to the proj. We after that tour we did um we recorded I can't remember the name of the studio, but it's where that suicide file full length was recorded in New York. Um, so that's where we, Atom, that's the one. Yeah. yeah. So we went to Atomic and the dude from um, Madball, Matt Henderson. Yeah. We recorded with him and this guy, Dean something. Dean, Dean Baltunas or some shit like that. that yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah. So we, we went there and we did that Proj 3 song, which I think is on uh, Greg's um, SoundCloud, which I still fucking think it sounds great. but um. That's probably like the, that was probably the peak of my powers, I would say. And then since then, it's just nosedive, can't even fucking hold sticks anymore. But we, a good story from then is we, so we were on the way down and the van broke down and we stopped in some fucking bum town and Mikey had, I think we're, he's like, we're trying to be healthy or something because we need to be fit for recording. I think we had some from like a salad bar or some shit. And I'm, he got food poisoning. The dude was fucking dead um driving down and he would never let anyone else drive our van his van so we went whole tour 21 days out driving all over and do never let anyone else drive um <laughs> we so <clears throat> we're there and we did the drums i had brian van etten's snare at the time which was the Lars ulrich special from and 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 matt henderson was like i don't want to use this it keeps doing this weird ringing sound I'm like fuck you i'm using it so we spent ages trying to get this thing sounding good, which I think it eventually did. Um, so we did that, and we were, I remember we were recording um, guitars, and the power just goes like, doesn't go off, but it, all the lights dimmed. We're like, what the fuck? And I don't know if you remember this, but there's a blackout. You were there for that's when you guys recorded? Yes. Exactly so we, late summer 2003. So we, yeah. Yes. So we were there in, in New York City or in Brooklyn at, at Atomic. And it was fucking chaos because like Matt Henderson, I remember he was like, what the fuck's going on? I don't like this. And I think people had like 9-11 PTSD, like, and legitimately, obviously. And they're like, I don't know what's going on. This never happens. Like cell phones aren't working because everybody's trying to call. Like it was, and he was like, I'm out of here. I got to go back and find my wife or my, you know, like this is over. And we're like, fuck, okay. And that dude is fucking scary. Yeah. We're like, oh, okay, no problem. So we are like, all right, what do what do we do? Uh, so we we're like, okay, we're gonna stay with um, John from the Disaster Pieces. So we we're staying with him in his apartment in Manhattan, but we're in Brooklyn. And like, I'm not a New York City kid. Like, none of us knew it. And uh, so we like, fuck it. I guess we're walking. So we walked across the Manhattan Bridge and I remember we're walking single file because of the flood of people coming out of Manhattan into Brooklyn. And there's a woman in front of us the whole time. She's waving her arms, make space for us, make space, <laughs> like lady, give it up. So we walk all the way across Manhattan Bridge and we get to the other side and like, it probably wasn't like this, but in my head, it was like a fucking zombie apocalypse. I remember a car up on the, the sidewalk and dudes are selling flashlights for like 200 bucks. And like, there's just, it was, there was panic. 
And we we're like, what the fuck are we going to do? And so we, we eventually trekked to Pierce's house. But I remember we're there at night, like it night late. And we're on a building, like a rooftop in Manhattan. And every building was dark. And it's this fucking surreal, amazing experience that like, to be honest, I almost com completely forgotten about it. And then Greg from Prudge reminded me the other day, but it's like it an insane story. That's, yeah, I totally, I, I mean, I don't, I don't forget about the blackout, but I, I, you know, I honestly vaguely remember, I feel like Chris posted something on our local message board, like the next day or whenever you guys were able to get to a computer. So I remember reading some crazy story like that, like not the, the bridge story you just told, you know, but, um, but yeah, it was two years after 9-11. Yeah, I mean, imagine being in New York for that, you know, that's crazy. Yeah, people, it was, it was insane. And like, that's the thing. I mean, I tell people in Australia that I'm lived in New York. Because it's not worth explaining Rochester unless they ask follow-up questions, right? And so if I ever get like a, oh, were you there in nine at nine eleven? I'm like, nah. <laughs> I mean, New York State, you know, you got to kind of clarify that. But yeah, that it's just wild time. Even when I lived in Denver for like three months, uh, three or four months in 2006, whenever I'd go to the liquor store, I'd flash my ID, and they'd always be like, oh, New York City. And I'm like, not quite, buddy. It's like six hours. <laughs> and eventually you're just like, oh, yeah, New York City right on. Yeah, right there. You know what I mean? So, yeah, they're like, where'd you live? I'm like, mm, Bro Brooklyn. <laughs> just the, yeah, don't ask me. Keep asking me questions, please. <laughs> um, so I know you said it was kind of like bittersweet, but like bef uh, before we talk about like the sound wave experiences, like were you in, t in tune at all with the Australian scene otherwise, like coming back there, like for like hardcore punk or any of that kind of stuff? To, to be honest, not at all. I, I went, I feel like I went to a couple of shows, but what's different is, it, so in, in Australia, you, you don't have as many cities like you do in the States. So like Sydney is a big city. It's 5 million people plus. So it, it's big. Um, and, you know, as is Melbourne and Brisbane and Perth and Adelaide to a certain extent, but you can't, like draw you can't come here and tour and you know drive three four hours and you're at another place where you might get a decent crowd it doesn't work like that so when people come to sydney often the, obviously they're in australia so the show costs more number one number two it they're usually at bars and at the time i wasn't i mean it's 18 to drink here um and it's just a more and this is from my extremely limited experience back then it it, it was just bigger and less intimate and i sort of i mean this is my ego as well i was thinking i can't like i don't want to sound so lame but it's true i don't want to start at the bottom again <laughs> you know like nobody fucking knows who i am i can't write songs so like i need to find good musicians in order to be in a good band and i was just lucky to have that in rochester um so i i never really engaged in it to be honest i tried and then quickly was like look i i just want to get a job and start earning money and like be a grown-up now that was kind of my even though i was still 17 that was kind of my outlook at the time i don't i don't think too many u.s bands have really made it over there so much i feel like terrorists probably been there once or twice but you i brought i just pulled this up because you made me think about it with saying that like how far how spread out things are there like the band that, mm. that there's one band from Australia called Speed that I like now, and they just announced a, uh, a tour. I'm doing air quotes for people who yeah. can't see the video. Uh, they just announced a tour yesterday, and it's Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, and Adelaide, but literally it's one show per week. 
You know what I'm saying? It's it's not, it's not like you're gonna be able to drive because yeah. like, I've looked at the map before, so I know what you're talking about. Like you can't do it. Yeah. On well, if you you'd have to fly right to Toronto, to Toronto Australia, like like quickly or whatever, right? Or... Uh, yeah. Look, if you're only playing the major cities, you'd fly for sure. Yeah. Look, there are other places. So like, there's a city called Newcastle, which is two hours north of Sydney, and like when Polar Bear Club came years ago, before they did a tour before they did Soundwave, they came. And they think they played a show in Newcastle. From my memory, there were not many people there. Um, but it's it's not like everywhere is a fucking ghost town. But yeah, it, it's not far off that, to be honest. Right. So yeah, I guess let's get into that then. You you mentioned this a couple of times before we did the interview. Now, how many times did did Polar Bear Club come over then? Twice or or more? I want to say three times. I think they came once and they did a tour you know like a normal tour i guess you'd call it and you're still flying places but i think they hooked up with a couple of australian bands and they played a couple shows in melbourne a couple in sydney um and i remember they were cool um and then at the time it doesn't happen anymore this festival but soundwave festival so that was a big that's how it happened in australia for a while and still does to a certain extent if you're gonna bring international bands out you do a big show, you know, as I said, you know, COVID's kind of put paid to that for a bit, but um, even still festival culture is very big here. So even like, you know, dance party type bullshit music, excuse me, <laughs> and DJs and that kind of shit. And you'll get like fucking, you know, 10,000 people popping E and dancing. So that, that, that culture exists here. Um, so it, there was a festival called Big Day Out, which like Nirvana played back in the day, you know, like there's a huge festival and that sort of, you know, they're very expensive and logistical nightmare. Um, and so they're, they have to be very successful to keep going. Um, and then, so Soundwave was for a spell, very successful. And it was basically kind of like the, rochester hardcore scene i guess you know like they'd mix a band like polar bear club with metallica with you know some sort of bit on the edge sort of hip-hop kind of, you know what i mean like they kind of mix all the sort of music that we would like um and it's it's uh a day in each city or i think or two day i can't remember um but anyway so they i think chris or jim told me that they were coming out and that they could have me as I'm doing air quotes now, tour manager, which to call me that is just fucking hilarious. Um, I didn't manage shit except for my own liver, I guess. Um, so we, uh, I became, you know, for all intents and purposes, there's five dudes in the band and I was number six. I just didn't play an instrument. So we're like, and they, and they kept saying to me, Matt, this is not a real tour. Like we're staying in like Schmick hotels and everything's paid for and we're flying. Like we don't have to drive anywhere. Like this is not like, yeah, I can understand that. But um, amazing experience. Like Metallica headlined and then they put on a, a band barbecue. So every band could come and like there's a huge spread and drinks and food and stuff. And it's just like every band I've loved standing around hanging out <laughs> I'm like holy fuck check it out like that's Lars Ulrich um so that was um, and then like Goose from Polo Bear Club he's got the balls to talk to anyone so he's just chatting up people and I'm just standing next to him laughing like <laughs> trying to be cool too scared to say anything 
Uh, and then like send a photo, like a slide photo I took of Hetfield to my brother. And he's just like, fuck you. <laughs> like, dude, I've loved Metallica since <laughs> we were 12. Uh, so yeah, it was an insane experience. I can't really remember the music so much as uh, just being there um, and sort of, you know, backstage. I remember we in one of the years there was, we finished in Adelaide, which is in South Australia. So think of it as kind of like you're in maybe like Alabama or Mississippi, thinking about the US map. And then we're flying to Perth. So it was a charter flight. So it's like flying from, you know, the, that sort of area of the South out to California. So it's a good, you know, a few hours on the plane. And we're going on this charter flight and it's only bands. So there's no general public. And like, I remember that, like the Lawrence arms are sitting behind us and they're just like, I just couldn't like, look where I am. This fucking plane with all of these bands I've loved for, I didn't talk to anyone, but like the dude, like Lucero were on it. And like, I think it, all kinds of bands. So it was, um, it was funny to get a glimpse into, I guess, successful music, <laughs> which I never was able to get a glimpse of um you know we just play our sort of shitty punk back in the day um but yeah it's next level and as i said i know that's not how pbc or uh, probably most of those bands toured normally but um it was it was luxurious <laughs> and that was the last time you did something like that right so what, what was it like 10 years ago or more probably right now right oh geez uh it was probably i mean i didn't have kids and my oldest son was born in 2016 so i want to say 2012 ish like you say yeah probably 10 years or so ago but yeah it all kind of goes quite quickly wasn't it one of those i can't remember which one it was but what didn't somebody die like an olympus get thing at one of those festivals back in the day or maybe you were living here on that happened. yeah i think there's someone had a, a heart attack or something that, that rings a bell yeah but i remember as well um pennywise were playing one of those shows and the kids were fucking mental and they had these like temporary fencing up and they're like shaking the fuck out of it until they tipped it over and then they're like pouring into this thing like we we're talking about before you know you got how 300 kids in a lodge and you're thinking oh shit this is like thousands of people and i, I want to say they actually stopped and we're like guys you need to calm the fuck down and i think you that those things happen so infrequently in Australia, like those big, those big, these big bands come out, particularly of that type of music that I think kids just can't handle it, you know, and they've been pre-drinking since 9am and like they're fucked up and it's hot, it's summer, like it's just, it's not, yeah, it's not conducive to people being rational, put it that way. Yeah, I don't know if it's being in my 40s now or what, but even um you were mentioning a lot of names and i saw like half those people last week at a, the show rory put on like motion and jimmy and a bunch of people but even then i'm like man i don't like being around big crowds of people anymore you know and like you talking about that fucking festival where there was probably i'm guessing 50 to 100 000 people there like that just makes me claustrophobic thinking about it you know what i mean like anywhere i go to and this yeah. like a lot of this has other reasons too but like i look like wherever I go for all the exits, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, how the fuck am I like mm. breaking the fuck out of here if I have to, you know? And, you know. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, we had a, we have a festival in, um, it's like an art festival in Sydney called Vivid. So there's a lot of like cool art installations and light shows and stuff. 
and it happens all over the city. So, oh, it's a couple of months ago now. So we took the, my wife and I took the kids down and it was a sea of people down at like um, Circular Quay in Sydney. So it's like, if you've ever seen photos, it's the Opera House, the White Building and the Harbour Bridge. It's like, you know, the iconic part of downtown Sydney. And we were there and there were thousands and thousands of people. And uh, like you, I was like a turtle, you know, I'm like trying to tuck my head into my body to like get away from all of this shit. Um, yeah, I guess just two years plus of no crowds. And it was once upon a time, fucking, we'd be at shows every day, pretty much. And I mean, they're not thousand strong crowds, but it's still people around and that I thrived on that. But yeah, like you say, I've lost that big time as I've gotten older. Yeah, and I'm not trying to be like unfriendly to people, but I'm just like I just want to kind of sit outside with like two people or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I just big yeah. Sometimes I'm trying to be unfriendly. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I think that's that's gonna pretty much wrap up most of what I had. Like, what are we are are we missing anything from from the timeline or anything from any crazy or funny stories that we missed or anything? Oh, look, you know, I feel like there's something I haven't told, but whether it's good, I don't I don't remember. Um. Yeah, look, I can't remember. What else did we, did we miss? I suppose that, yeah, that Breaking Project tour was something that is, I feel like that a lot of people didn't really give a shit, which is fine. Um, you know, I didn't really know. And I can remember, <laughs> can remember on our last show, Jimmy announced us. And he, I remember he said, Rochester's most underrated band. And I was like, is that a compliment? Or is it like a, a backhanded thing? I don't know. But um, it was... It was all driven by Chris. Like, let's be honest, dude was emailing people and setting up. So I can remember we went to Cleveland and there's this guy with his big glasses and a ponytail. And we got there and he was like, oh, down the road, the locusts are playing. So no one's coming to the show tonight. And we're like, cool. So that actually that we toured with Building on Fire at that part. So I'm sure we did a weekend with them. So I can remember we got a hotel room and everybody was in it. So it was all of Proj and all of Billy on Fire in one hotel room. That was fun. I remember I slept with Greg Odom. Uh, <laughs> I may have had no pants on. Um, and then, yeah, this guy, so there's no... Sh- and we got to St. Louis and the dudes were like shooting fireworks at each other, like fucking Braveheart style. Like, guys, get involved. I'm like, what the fuck? No. Um, yeah, but it's just little flashes like that. I think you remember recording uh, the Avram demo at Village Gate with this weird old man. And then this guy turned up and he was named Tristan. And we still all remember this. And he turned up with a like manila envelope and was like, oh, here you go, George. And he was like, oh, cool. Thanks, Tristan. And we're like, it was like, if you've ever seen a like signposted drug deal, this was it. <laughs> it's like the strangest thing and this guy it's not a recording studio right and like this is the first recording i've done I had no fucking idea i'm like oh here we go this guy's gonna get to do drug deals but we just it's just all of these little bits that i remember and it's not so much the show it's the it's the people really you know what's weird is i interviewed somebody from syracuse a few episodes back who said when he was recording in florida back in the day that uh the dude there had a side hustle for selling weed too. I mean, if you think about it, like even if it's not like a real studio or if it is like 
you have you're there's just waiting around for people all day anyways like it's probably pretty easy just to have like a couple ounces in the studio and just have people roll through you know what i mean so right right that i mean that's a that's a business idea and like you said i I mean i've said before recording is not for me um i it just takes too long yeah i'm i'm impatient you know i i now work um in tv in australia so i'm a director and i come across this a lot in in work is so like i will direct the camera crew and you know tell our people what to say and that kind of thing but i don't want any part of editing it like i have no interest in sitting in a room <laughs> like i filmed it and then off you go like it takes me one hour to film it might take you 10 hours to edit it but it's like no i don't want any part of that so i've never had the patience for that side of things i've always been uh i'll do the the creating it part and then when you do that bit, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, editing is definitely my least favorite part of doing this podcast. It hasn't been as bad lately, just because I haven't been as anal about certain things. But yeah, um, and and I'm impatient too, so that's probably why. Aside from the fact that I don't have any musical talent, that's probably why I was, I was never in a real band because like I wouldn't be able to sit through a practice or. I went to one recording session with Miles Between Us in uh, 2001 or somewhere around there, and. Even that, it was they're good songs, but it's like, dude, I don't need to hear these guys play these songs for eight hours. Like, oh uh, man, I mean? right? <laughs> and then it's like, and then I remember going to project practice and be like, all right, I got this new part, and I'm like, fuck, can't we just play the songs we know and then like go to Denny's? Like, I don't want to write new music. I don't know, like you said, we're playing the same bit over and over, and like, I mean, and that I guess that's what was I guess a little bit different about me is that. I love music, don't get me wrong, but I did I didn't have this same passion for writing and for all like what I always wanted to do is just play shows. And like I would be quite happy to never the recording for me was a way that we make our shows better. You were- and I never I never yeah, like I, I didn't I didn't never had any songwriting ability. Um I would just basically do what I was told. And then if you look at like I guess my contemporaries like Motion and Brian Van Etten and Tyler Farron and even fucking Chris Brown, these dudes shit all over me and always have such good musicians. And like, but what I can do, I can play fast, I can play hard. And so that's like, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> it seems like what you're describing too, though, is like you'd be really good in like a jam band. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if oh, you're doing that kind of stuff at all. Yeah, but... I don't mind a jam. Yeah. I, I, the thing with a jam band, I found you need the, you need the the guitarist needs to be, yeah. you know, like able to lead you, because I can I I can play beats and stuff and you know play some funky parts. But when I first started, I used to actually give names to the parts. So like I can remember there was a bit that uh, in a to festival within song and it was like kind of noodly. So I called it noodly part. And I would literally write on a piece of paper, noodly part times two, and make a list like that. And then I'd put it on my kick drum, like it was my set list, but it was really to, so I could learn it. And that was kind of how I, like, not, there ain't no musical notes written anywhere, any time signatures. It was just this piece of paper with like my code on it. That's kind of how I learned to play. Did you ever do that with live shows? Like write down the parts of the songs that you had? Yeah, fuck yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody just thought it was the set list like some of those songs some of those prod songs they were like six seven minutes with no repeated bits and i'd forget 
yeah. <laughs> but like looking up, I'm like, oh, okay, oh yeah, this bit. Here we go. <laughs> before you know, before I forget too, you mentioned that you think or that Jimmy said the Proj was Rochester's most underrated band. I feel like the Evram was because, like you said, you guys never really played out of town, and now years later, like from doing this podcast and and seeing greg do the, the hardcore history like people still talk about that band not that they don't yeah. like the breaking project too you know what i mean but like i didn't realize i guess maybe i underrated the Avram at the time too i don't know you know what i mean but yeah look i being in the bands i always felt the other way around i and and the thing they were, they were different for me because every band that i mean i guess no sweat but like i said before that's kind of a joke band to me but every other band apart from the Avram, I was not in when it started. So I wasn't part of forming the band. Like I replaced a member. And like I said, once I joined Project Clicked and we we're fucking boys and it was awesome. I loved it. But the Avram was the first band that was like the first practice I was there. And that, so for me, it was very special. Um, and as I said, like I'd been wanting to be in the same band as Jim and Ty for the previous two years um or longer and so when it happened i was really into it um but yeah i guess we all both those bands always did well in fairport um and then towards the end of my stay in the states so we're talking yeah around the last show the last few months of 2003 i felt like both bands were people were starting to get into it and then it's like, oh, cool. And now, and I can remember saying to the the guys, I'm like, you can replace me. Like, I'm not that good. <laughs> I can play like, you know, and I like to think I fit personality wise, but you know, I'm, it's not like you can't find a drummer who can play that. I, what I did, of course you can. Um, but yeah, it was both bands were, uh, you know, going to college, whatever, like natural time for us to break up. I suppose in my head, I don't know if I've ever said this to anyone before, but I I feel like if I never moved, I would have been in Polar Bear Club just because it was like Jimmy, you know, Jimmy and Chris were in Tamarov, but I wasn't in that. But then I had Praj and Avery. And so I just felt like I would have been in that mix. Um, so yeah, how does life turn out, right? If you, things were different, but I've always kind of felt, and that was, it hit me when I was playing with or touring with them. Like, man, would be cool to fucking be in this band, wouldn't it? But even Emmett, um, who was drummer in the first tour they came out, who's in Marathon, a fucking dude is incredible. Like, you listen to those recordings versus what I can could do even back then. It's not a, in the same ballpark, in my opinion. Um, and I'm not a hum. I'm not a humble person. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not putting this on. It's how I actually feel. So yeah, it was. Um, it was something that I, I always felt I played average drums with really good musicians. And that was what made people like our bands, not because of anything I did. <laughs> There's a couple other things I want to mention that we've, we've mentioned pieces in the interview. I always, anytime his name comes up, now that I've got the bad business interview uh, under my belt, pieces is what I would refer to as my white whale now. I think that's the term, right? Hmm. Um, Nobody seems to know where he is. One person like got a hold of him at some point, and then they like haven't heard from him since. If anybody hears from Pieces, Enterprise Hardcore Podcast at gmail.com. Let's get this thing happening. We got to get this guy on here and Hell talk yeah. about all this shit. Because that dude, I mean, maybe he just doesn't want anything to do with it. I know some people don't, but he would be a fucking 
person I would have a fucking blast interviewing, I'm sure. Well, it's it's funny you say that. Like, I, I never knew him that well. Um, I mean, we you know, acquaintances more than friends, but he was next door neighbors with Josh Proj, who was the singer of of Proj, Josh Kirby. And um, when I first joined the Breaking Project, we they uh, so Josh's mom was going away. And everybody was staying at their house, at his house, and we we called it Proj Palace. So they we I didn't know any songs, uh, you know, apart from any of the new songs. So they'd written nine or ten songs for that full length we did at Watchmen. So I joined, and then we played, and played, and played, and played, and I learned all. That. And that was when I remember Chris was showing me a part, and he was like, "Oh, it's not quite right." do you mind if I sit down and I'll play the beat? And I was like, sure, man, whatever. Here you go. And then he played it and I was like, fuck, what am I doing playing drums in this band? <laughs> this dude is awesome. Um, and that like, you listen to Achilles, that hospice record in particular, fuck me. It sounds so good. Drumming is insane. Um, he'll be really pissed off at me for saying this kind of thing. But anyway, um, it's true. So uh, it, yeah, what, what were we talking I was rambling. So yeah, so Pieces, he was kind of in and out, I remember, like coming and checking out what we were doing. And he was quite close with Josh. Um, and then he sung one line for us on the Proj 3 song. Um, he Because he was, like I said, we were staying with him. But what's weird is I was just talking to Chris and um, I, we, none of us have spoken to Josh in a long time either. We were very close in the end there. I haven't spoken to him in a long time, but yeah, we always got along really well. I remember, I remember on that Proj tour, halfway through, we're in Florida and his mom came down with his brother and his sisters mm -hmm. and they went to Disney World and they brought Josh's girlfriend at the time and we went and stayed. So halfway through tour, we fucking at Disney World. Um, and I can remember like hearing him and his girlfriend in the next room and all sorts of shit. And that's like, <laughs> funny, but yeah, I'd like, man, I'd love, I'd listen to him interviewed hundred percent. He's always a very, um, he was always very different in a good way. You know, I remember he'd turn up to shows with like, you know, college shirts on that were like halfway undone. And I'm like, where's your fucking hardcore shirt, man? You know, <laughs> no concept that, oh, guess what? People can dress differently, Matt, and they're still just humans. Like, nope, there's only one way to be. 2007, after I did I did the Denver thing for a few months and I came back here, I don't know if you remember Nick Lemesis, but him, oh yeah, uh, Josh Proj and one of my good friends, uh, Colin, we were trying to do like a little rap uh, project thing or whatever. It, it nice. didn't, nothing really happened with it. It was more of like, you know, I don't know. I, sometimes I wish I would have pushed the rap thing a little harder because some of these dudes now with all this bullshit that they can come out with, I'm like, yo, I easily could have done that in 2007. I just mm. didn't have the drive to do it or whatever. But, yo, but anyways, long story short, shout out to Josh Praj. I definitely want to get him on here at some point. Yeah, I guess we're at the point now where we'll probably start doing shout outs unless you have any other anecdotes or anything like that from your time in Rochester. Oh, look, nothing I can remember. Um, one thing I do, I, I should say, is I think a lot of people forget this, is that towards the end of the Avram, we got Mike in our band. And I know Chris Brown w wished that we asked him as well. And we just became a five piece and we just became like half Proj, half Avram. Um, but yeah, because we I remember we had a practice and we'd played a show at the Bug Jar and there was silly string everywhere. And Jimmy was like, man, that was fucking sweet show. But sometimes I wish I wasn't playing guitar so I could like, you know, properly lose my shit. 
Um, and I was like, well, let's get someone in. Cause the idea of having Jimmy just as a singer was awesome. So then, yeah, Mike did join the band. I, I don't, he wasn't in it for long, but I always like to remind people there were four members of the Avram at the end. I forget what band those guys, uh, I can't remember the name it was, but I booked a band that Mike was in with uh, Josh Dillon. Not that Colin, long, like long enough Colin ago. Colin the Drag? Curl in the Drag. There you go. It was like 10 years yeah. ago. Yeah, I booked them like maybe twice. Yeah, at the Bug Jar. That's yeah, so the, sing the singer of that band, Nick Ryan, he is one of our oldest friends. Um, and I went to high school with him and he came out to Australia and he stayed with me for three months or something. So yeah, he's one of my very oldest, closest friends. Um, yeah, with Josh and who else was that? Was it Max in that band? Maybe I can't remember. I never yeah, I saw like Max might have played drums. Max is another yeah. one that if Max listens to this, Max, I want to get you on here too. I've been thinking about hitting him up for an interview after seeing that coming down band with Rory last week. It reminded me Max has had a fucking a heavy hand in this scene for a long time too, you know? So, yeah, and it's funny. It's sort of, I think it max and i like we, we knew each other obviously but like it kind of crossed over like he's those guys sort of came in as i left and it be kind of became i guess you could call the college era of m my crew you know when brown and jimmy and tyler and mikey and all those dudes are in college because everything i did everyone was still in high school that i played with um I, I, until after i left so i know yeah I know, and then i played well, that would have been my last show. I played that No Sweat reunion show in Syracuse in 05, I want to say. And that, that was the last time I played drums. Like, wait, so wait, you, you came back from Australia to play? Or you, like, how long I, you came, I came back after a year. So I think it was in winter. It would have been like December 05 or something like that. Um, and I came back to see everyone. And I was only here for like two weeks or there for two weeks. And, we, and I played that No Sweat show. And then it still rankles me to this day. There's an Australian word. Um, rankle it annoys me. Um, <laughs> it still bothers me to this day that of all the bands I was in, the band that I got to play again with was fucking No Sweat. No offense to anyone, but seriously. <laughs> um, yeah, so that that's my last ever show. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure people would have been stoked for like a breaking project or ever reunion around that time. I mean, I would I would have been stoked on it. Yeah. I mean, those dudes played hundreds and um, I want to say thousands of shows since then. But for me, and I, look, I guess in terms of I don't know, like shout outs per se, but there's a lot of people in that time that were very influential on me, um, being younger than everyone. But uh, I mean, all those dudes I mentioned, I was in bands with, but particularly. Um, Jeff and Dan Bress and Brian Van Etten. And like, you know, Brian gave me his snare to play on that project recording. And it was, it was people I had looked up to for a long time were starting to talk to me, you know, like I was their equal. And I mean, they treated me that way. Uh, and it is very, very formative, you know, when it's like, fuck, these guys are in these awesome bands. And then, you know, I'm watching them rock out to my band. And they're 20 years later saying, you guys should check out the Avram. And it's like, it's just fucking cool. You know, you're still, you're still here. I heard myself mentioned a couple of times or bands I was in mentioned. And I think Dan said the same thing. It's like, you just go, ooh, fucking, how, how cool is that? Still, people still remember things I did. And um, look at it fondly, I guess, which is just incredible. You can't, obviously you can't go back, but 
I, it's just such a unique set of circumstances with all those people that were going to college there by chance and all that happened. And we all sort of made this beautiful thing together, which is just, look, it, one of the best times ever of my life without doubt. You know, every scene and culture is special, obviously, but I think anybody who's been on this podcast that was in Rochester from like 98 to 2004 will agree that we're lucky to have had those years because there was a really special thing here, small town, but a, 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 a vibrant community. I mean, not saying there isn't one now too, but um, I don't, I don't want to be one of those people who's just like stuck in the past or whatever. You know what I mean? I, I try to keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on now too, but um you know, people who listen to this podcast know, I mean, because sometimes I'll try to step out of the box and start interviewing more like current people. And I can tell when I look at the numbers that people want more from the from the era that we were a part of. You know what I mean? And, yeah, of course. You know, and I, it's just um, you can't. I, I don't really know the words for it. it you just. I, I think about it a lot and I. Like you said, I don't want to be the guy who's like, oh, remember this? Remember that? And like, remember 20 years ago when we played in this fucking basement in this place? But it was fucking awesome. <laughs> and like listening to people on, on your show talk about it with the same enthusiasm and the same, you know, vivid memories of that kind of stuff. And it's just like, it's still so fresh, even though it's 20 years. And I don't, listening to your show has made me realize I don't want to forget it. You know, I don't want to be like, oh, don't rehash old shit. I want to, because it's fucking great. Like, I, I know for sure I'm not doing shit like that again. So it's like, why not embrace it? You know, one day I've got every shirt that was made for all the bands I was in. I've got every uh, like hard copy of the recording. And one day I'll show my sons. And it'll be fucking cool. I'm sure they won't give a shit. <laughs> well, they'll think the music is terrible. Um, but yeah, it's it's something that I have. And it is such a big part of me that not everybody, a lot of people here don't know about. And so it's, uh, yeah, incredibly special. I mean, I've referenced on here a lot that one of the main reasons why I started this podcast was to show all of this stuff to my son one day. And I think... I'm starting to kind of safely say that I'm lucky that I have a daughter now because I think she's going to appreciate this music a lot more because maybe he'll change as he gets older. But as of right now, my son gives off the same vibe that any normal person gives off when I be, when I'm like, yo, Hendrix, what does my music sound like? It's just like muffled screaming, basically, you know, which is what every <laughs> normal person in the world thinks hardcore sounds like or, or new metal, whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, similar. I mean, my wife is not into hardcore punk at all she likes you know more alternative stuff like pavement is her favorite ever band um and so we we have some similar tastes but um also i i love stupid music you know like i love pop music and you know love the beatles and all that shit so i've definitely softened my musical taste as i've aged but i yeah i still I make sure that regularly in a car ride it's like okay now you can listen to bane and you can fucking like it, <laughs> you know. Like I'm not just gonna let you listen to pop music forever. Um, you're gonna have to hear this shit as well. So um, they don't dislike it. I think same with you. I think my younger one is more into it, but they're six and four. They don't know what they like yet, right? Yeah, no, exactly. But I, I mean, we've kind of know. Like I think it's like probably like this with a lot of people have two kids. But like my son 
is more of like a mama's boy and my daughter is like like more of a daddy's girl so i think with that in mind that's why i kind of think she's gonna be more into it and plus she's more of a troublemaker like i was too so i think she's gonna be the mischievous punk rock fucking I don't know what I'm getting myself into by even saying that right now. So maybe I'll edit. That <laughs> so you can you can cut you can cut that out if you don't yeah. want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, but but no, I mean, having I'm sure you feel the same way. I mean, now having kids, it's like it makes me reflect on a lot of the things from my youth and want to show them a lot of it, you know. And when I take them places, it it just reminds me of being a kid, and it's it's really cool seeing, like watching watching things through a child's eyes again. You know what I mean? It's 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 very fun. Oh, it's insane! It's um. Yeah, it's made me a, a completely different person, really, um, to where you have this, I guess, this feeling in your stomach always that, like, you know they're around and you want them to be okay and to be happy, and you just feel it always. I, I don't know about you. And, and, like, there might be, you know, I'll be working, I'll be really busy, and... Uh, something will just remind me and then I'll just be like, I'll feel good again. Cause like, I'll think of my kids and it's God, it sounds so fucking cheesy, but it's true, you know? And it's, um, it's something that has made me look back at this time, even where, you know, like when I was 16, 17, you don't see your parents as people, you know, like you don't think your parents have feelings. They're just, they're just there to uh, give you your food and house and to, you know, tell you what you can't do. Um, <laughs> but then you realize, wow, if my son spoke to me like I spoke to my mom or dad, I'd feel like shit. And then you think of all the times that you did. Like, I remember once I went to Jimmy's house and I lied to my parents and said, I'm just staying at Jimmy's house. And we drove to Baltimore and the disaster played with majority rule. And then we drove back through the night and like if i found out my son did that i'd lose my fucking shit at it but like oh it's fine whatever don't worry about it you know and so it, it, it makes me think back on this time and how lucky i was that my parents let me go on tour you know we had to get all the proj parents together and we had a map quest page printed out with a presentation um <laughs> makes me think back to those times and how awesome it was that mine and other parents of some of us, us younger kids let us do this stuff and let us play shows on school nights and all that shit you know i guess on the off chance that either one of your parents hears this they're going to learn you've been to baltimore one more time than they've realized in your <laughs> but um, uh, don't no, worry i told them <laughs> i never i never did, went as far as baltimore but the first time i mean i was probably about the same uh, 15 16 maybe the first time i went to the warp tour my mom was like no you're not going to buffalo so I just, same thing, I lied and said I was going to one of my buddy's house in Webster for the day. And now having kids, like, that would freak me the fuck out if I found out they did some shit like that. Even, right? even like 16 or 17, not let alone 15, you know? Yeah, and I, I can't remember, my dad gave me a cell phone, old flip phone, and I was pissed off because he was like, now you have no excuse not to call us. So like, if you go somewhere and I, you don't tell us where you are, I'm going to be pissed off at you. And I was so annoyed that like I'd lost some of my anonymity, you know, some of my freedom, which thinking about it now, like fucking phone never leaves. It's never more than a meter away from me. You know, you wake up, first thing you look at, like my initial relationship with a cell phone was fuck you, you know, and I changed my ringtone from my parents to the Darth Vader song. So it was like, oh shit, that's the Imperial March. You know, your parents are calling you. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, there's a lot. I mean, that's a lot of things, too. Like, a lot of times, I even when I'm, like, like lecturing my son sometimes when he did something wrong, I'm like, you know, I was four once, too. I, you know, I try to remember that, too. But it's just totally different now, though. You know what I mean? The world's changed from, like, when I was four to when you were four to now when my kids are four. You know what I mean? It's just, mm. you know, and you and I don't have that big of an age gap. It's just, like, four or five years. But, like, the, the time frame from then to now is like it's a completely different world i mean i don't know how oh, it is in australia you know what i mean but yeah well exactly right it is it's different and that's another thing for me as well is like my kids are my oldest son has just started kindergarten and it's like i don't know anything about australian school like i didn't i i did like year first grade or something here i can't remember it but and it's there's a lot of things i'm realizing now that like i'm not australian you know, like I'm not American, but I'm not Australian. And and I think that's part of why, you know, I never felt like I was, you know, fitting in or at home, quote unquote, um, until this period we're talking about. And so, yeah, still this, you know, or like that didn't happen back then or whatever. So, yeah, but like you say, you just do your best <laughs> and a lot of being a dad at least for me is just instinct right it's like no nah, I don't like that or yes I do like that and then always trying to think do I really want to lose my shit over this right now yeah I kind of do and then I'll tell him off you know <laughs> other times like it's not worth it just put in bed walk away <laughs> that's good for uh conflict resolution I guess well, lucky for my son, and you I mean you mentioned the seatbelt thing earlier. It's pretty common knowledge that I definitely was not wearing my seatbelt when I got thrown from a car a few years ago. I've been getting these fucked up headaches lately. I don't know if it's from that or just from stress, but my kids are lucky now because I don't, I can't get pissed off. You know what I mean? Like I've noticed that. Yeah. Like, I had an issue with my microphone with the podcast the other day, and like it wasn't. I don't. I don't want to get into it. It's a long story short type thing, but like even that was making my head hurt. I'm like, yo, I can't have any stress right now i have to just be totally calm mm. and now around them in situations where i might have gotten a little you know heated about something now i'm just like taking a deep breath and explaining it better and i'm like this is chill probably, dad it's probably better in the long run for for all of us so you know what yeah. I mean? like, rather than have what you can do it's kind of like the boy who cried wolf right if you're always pissed off grumpy dad then it stops being effective yeah. they don't give a shit that too he'll just laugh at you if you yell at him so it's like I always try to keep my cool. I don't succeed. Yeah. And then when I have the dad voice or the dad's eyes staring them down, then they're like, oh, done fuck with you now. But I always feel like shit. I'm like, I don't want to scare my kids. But yeah. again, it's not your house. I'm in charge here. <laughs> that's what I've been. That's what I've been doing more though. Instead of getting mad lately, I've just been using, like you said, the eyes. Like when my, when my, when I'm trying to get my daughter to sleep, because my son gave up on naps a long time ago. But when I'm trying to get my daughter to take a nap, uh he'll if he does something loud i just stare at him for a second he knows like cut cut the shit out for a minute or whatever you know? <laughs> yeah so. i've actually i've given him the look and you can see them sort of shrink down a bit yeah. i'm like i'm not trying to scare you but also yeah. no shut the fuck up <laughs> but uh if you end up actually listening to any of these episodes though uh shout out to hendrix and marley love you guys you know it's never a dull moment though thanks for uh these first few years we'll see how the rest goes um but yeah, I guess kind of wrapping things up. I know you said the shout outs were more just kind of like, like, uh, you know, thinking like a group of people type thing. But do you have any like specific shout outs you want to give before I kind of start wrapping up on my end or? Uh, look, maybe uh, probably because you just did it. I should say uh, 
my life would be very different without my beautiful wife, Allison, um, and our kids, uh, Chuck and Alfie. Um, yeah, they're the, the best ever. I suppose everybody says that, but that's how I feel about it. But yeah, look, like I said, it's just everybody who was involved in any music or shows we did back in the day, it's like, you know, I might not remember every name, but it's incredibly special time to me. And I hope that some people smiled or laughed at some of the shit we talked about tonight. All right. I think that's going to wrap things up. Um, I would say her name again, but I don't want her to start squeaking her toy again. But I do. I am. I am still baffled by the fact that uh, we my dog has the same name as your as your son. <laughs> um, I feel like that's a more common a good name, name. There, though. Yeah, I feel like it's more that's common. It's a good name. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's going to wrap up episode 86. Uh, I want to thank Matt for taking the time to do the interview and figuring out the, the time zone issues for me. Um, as always, shout out to Greg Benoit, Jim Byrne, and Rob Antonucci for all the help with the podcast. Uh, thanks to my family for all the support and for giving me the time to do all these. Uh, episode 87 will be streaming in a few days uh, with Ben from Such Gold, uh, Who Decides, and Taking Meds. Uh, thanks again, everybody, for listening and supporting the podcast with the GoFundMe and the Patreon. See everybody real soon and stay safe.